Welcome to Smart in the City, the Babel podcast where we bring together top actors in the smart city arena, sparking dialogues and interactions around the stakeholders and themes most prevalent for today's citizens and tomorrow's generations. I am your host, Hamlin Shimizu, and I hope that you will enjoy this episode and gain knowledge and connections to drive the change for a better urban life. Smart in the City is brought to you by Babel Smart Cities. We enable processes from research and strategy development to co-creation and implementation. To learn more about us, please visit the Babel platform at babel-smartcities.eu. So a short intermission to tell you about the Autonomy Mobility World Expo. It's the world's largest annual gathering of international sustainable urban mobility stakeholders, welcoming 200 plus exhibitors, 300 plus speakers, 8,000 plus participants every year in March. Uh, yeah, some activities. There's a startup village, city hub, two conference programs, test tracks, demos, B2B and B2G meetings, startup challenge and innovation award ceremony. It will take place on the 20th. 2nd through the 23rd of March in Paris, and I will be there, and I'm looking forward to it and hope to see you there. So today is a special episode. I think I say that in every episode, but they're all very special, but um, a bit different than our usual format. Um, we are proud to announce um, our collaboration with a great podcast, Herbcast. Um, Herbcast is a unique bilingual podcast about cities, urbanism, urban planning, architecture, and much more. And if you don't know yet, make sure to check it out. Uh, shameless plug here for our next guest. So um, with us is none other than fellow podcast host and urbanist Marcin Jabrowski, um, now who has now produced over a hundred episodes on his podcast Herbcast, and has spoken to very interesting people, a lot of very interesting people. Um, and he's also a business developer at the company Henning Larson. So, welcome on to the show, Marcin. Thank you, Tamlin. I'm very happy to be here and especially that it's so exciting to be the guest this time. Yeah, does it feel weird to be in your roles reversed? <laughs> it, it does. It does. Because I think that it's uh, it's so interesting overall to be the, the guest, uh, but also as a host, you, I think you have a, a bit easier job because you are just asking the questions and you are just relying <laughs> on, the, on the guest uh, and you can always like... Uh, yeah, I think that tune in in what the person is saying. And this time, while being the, the guest, I'm the one uh, speaking a lot, I hope. Uh, and I think that yes. I hope also that the <laughs> things I'm going to say will be uh, important, interesting, relevant, and that will make the listeners curious to, to listen. I'm sure. I'm sure. So um, I am really interested um, to learn about uh, more about your podcast um, and learn about like, how did you get into podcasting? Like what led you to start Herbcast? Can you tell a bit of the story behind it? Uh, I think that this is also a good time to mention this, the, the beginning of the story, because I will in some time in a few months, I will uh, reached the three years of my podcast being in the making. <laughs> uh, so it is, of course, a long time uh, if you look at it. Uh, and I think that as, it's, uh, as it often happens in my case, it was uh, a bit uh, unexpected. Uh, I think maybe saying co a coincidence is a bit too much, but uh, I remember that it was around the pandemic when the pandemic was starting and I was actually listening to a lot of podcasts and back then I was 
thinking that podcasts are mostly mostly about like some criminal stories or some podcasts about sports or about football, especially because I, I was starting to to listen to podcasts by football. So I thought that it's only like for fun, so to say. Uh, and then I started to looking for some podcasts about urbanism, cities and architecture. And to be honest, actually, I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find anything that would um, kind of fulfill my needs and the topics being covered. And I thought about for a second to create my own podcast. And it happened that I had a microphone, uh, let's say like a semi-professional microphone. So I just realized that uh, I don't have excuse not to start. Uh, and I think that it also was because I'm very social person and to me, like meeting people and talking to them also like us talking here today is, it, it, it just gives me joy. So I just connected the dots one can say, and, uh, the result was this podcast that, yeah, that, that started in 2020. Wow. It's been a journey, I'm sure. Um, and, and congrats on, on the three years. That's exciting. We're actually hitting our one year mark. Um, I actually thought it was longer, <laughs> as I mentioned to you before we started recording, but, um, we, yeah, it's such a journey and it, it's, you learn so much from different people. Um, and so I want to, I want to dig into that also, uh, with you on, you know, really the lessons you've learned from the podcast, the who you've spe spoken to, et cetera. So, um, how many cities now have you actually recorded episodes with? Do you know? Actually, it's, it's many of them. Uh, I would say that at least 50 to 80, maybe, uh, I don't always, uh, I don't always check which is the the city that that I'm making the episode uh with the guests from so it's often that uh I'm I'm focusing on the topic I'm focusing on the person and yeah I don't know how many cities exactly there were but it was a lot of them actually because as you've mentioned uh before my podcast is bi bilingual so it means that I do a lot of episodes a lot of interviews with people uh from Poland where I'm from and there I've really spoke to a lot of cities and especially I think it's worth to mention that I spoke to small cities as well, to the people working mm -hmm. in municipalities or being activists in a very, very little towns. And I think that this is very important to give the voice to small towns because we can always hear a lot about what happens in maybe Barcelona or London or some other big cities or Paris, uh, but I think that sometimes we tend to forget about the, the smaller cities and that the life, that life happens there as well. So I think that there are a lot of different cities, small cities, big cities that I, 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 I talked with and yeah, but couldn't, couldn't give the exact number. I, I'm afraid. <laughs> That's okay. I won't <laughs> hold you to it. Um, yeah. So do you think that urbanism is an, inc an inclusive term then? Or do you think that we need to widen the, the scope of what we talk about? I think that it should be a bit more inclusive uh, because in a way, urbanism is often about different trends. I feel like uh, there are different trends that appear uh, in urbanism, in architecture as well, in city planning, in urban design that we tend to stick a lot to. So for example, a couple of years ago, uh, or actually more, maybe over 10 years ago, there was this term called sustainability and all the cities start to be sustainable, right? Or wanted to be sustainable. Uh, and then there also was the notion of 15 minute city recently 
uh, coined by uh, Professor Carlos Moreno. And then a lot of cities wanted to be 15-minute cities. And then suddenly, many cities, small cities, small towns realized that they actually are 15-minute cities, or they used to be 15-minute cities before it was called 15-minute cities. So I think that we tend to stick too much with those different uh, kind of frames and brackets instead of just uh, seeing urbanism as a lens at, through which we just look at the city. Because I think that it is important to to work with, with different cities and to kind of work with urbanism overall, no matter the scale, no matter if the people who uh, who are working with us are the representatives of the city council, are the architects, professionals, or just, in air quotes, just the citizens. And I think that each voice should be just uh, kind of valued uh, on the same level. Yeah, yeah, very important. Um, and and I'm wondering, so with the cities or maybe from towns as well that you've spoken to, do you have um, any like inspiring stories that particularly stuck with you uh, over the years? Yeah, definitely. And one of them uh, for sure has to be uh, something that I learned during the Urban Future Conference last year in Helsingborg. <laughs> where we met, exactly. actually. Yeah, exactly. And this is <laughs> and, and this is exactly where we met. And 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 the, the result of this meeting is this discussion. And I'm very happy to have it. Uh, one of one of the, the talks that inspired me a lot was the one with Nicolas Marchesi, who was the founder of Orange Sky. And Orange Sky is an organization that provides the, um, the possibility for people to make laundry in mobile uh, laundry um, trucks. And it is a tool to strengthen the community in a way, because like there are a lot of people with who struggle with homelessness, for example, and they lack such a basic thing. So they, they lack such a basic um, kind of uh, access to, uh, to, 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 to places like, uh, like, like laundry machines. And, uh, Nicolas was providing them with that and fulfilling this basic need. So they would just, uh, pack the, the, the trucks with the, with the washing machines, with the laundry machines, and they would just like go around and provide the service for free to people. And it turned into like such a huge movement. Now they are operating in many different cities all over Australia and they are actually building communities around those tracks. So for me, it was like such a mind-blowing example of how can we shape the cities and how actually the urbanism works. So it's, as I've mentioned, it's maybe not always about just coining a big term and just sharing it all over and writing books about it, but it's about acting in a way. And it's like bottom-up movement is often more pow more powerful because it, it can be so influential and it can inspire people and it can really like uh, influence people's life. Uh, yeah. So that's, uh, that's one of the stories that, that I would love to share. Uh, and many other stories is something that I heard from the Polish cities as well. Um, and especially the small towns that I really want to emphasize that a pandemic helped in, in the perception uh, of the smaller cities as, as actually attractive places. Because I think that also like, the globalization movement and urbanization especially made a lot of people move to, to the cities. And now, of course, there is over half of the people living in cities on our planet. And the small cities have such many advantages for people. And I think that this is especially, I don't know how about different cities but or different countries, but 
there is some, something special happening in Poland. I feel that there is more and more um, people thinking about moving to back to smaller towns so they can have all the, their needs being fulfilled. And I remember talking to uh, someone who represents a very, very tiny, tiny town because it was around 4,000 citizens only. But what I remembered is that they could create this sense of community. So when they were doing the urban renewal, the revitalization program, it really built the community around it because the city was so small. So that was an example from a north coastal, close to coast town in, in Poland that I really, really had this, um, this, this kind of respect towards, towards the people working there because they, they, they really managed to, to create this sense of community around it. And, uh, and I think that this is a good example to replicate to, to, to other cities that, that it is really, really easier to involve people in smaller towns and that they can really feel this sense of belonging. I think that overall, this sense of belonging is one of the most important things for, for people living in cities nowadays. Yeah, really, really incredible lessons from that. And uh, when you go back to this bottom-up approach that you were speaking about, since a lot of our... A lot of our listeners are maybe city representatives, et cetera. Um, have you learned anything about how cities can enable bottom-up initiatives to actually grow and flourish and be the driving force in cities? Because a lot of times they're saying, okay, should be bottom-up, but I'm up here. How do I force the bottom-up from, from where I am, you know? Um, do you, have you, have you learned anything about that? Uh, yes, definitely. I think that this is such a huge challenge, actually, because uh, sometimes cities just pretend to have a dialogue, right? So uh, there is a requirement that the design or the process of changing something in the city should be inclusive. And then you just set up uh, an official meeting for the citizens where they can just come. And at this meeting, they are just met with uh, a proposal, which is kind of already there. It's already designed. And instead of people being able to influence that, they can comment, they can just say, I like it or I don't like it. And I don't think that this is like the inclusive um, urban design or urbanism. Uh, and I think that this is also something that many, many cities struggle with. Uh, I can for sure from my experience mention that it sometimes happen uh, in Poland where those cities or the city councils, they are not approaching uh, people in an enough inclusive way. But of course, there are some ideas on how can we enable that. And I can just mention one of uh, actually projects that I developed myself a couple of years ago in Warsaw, in the capital city of, uh, of Poland. Uh, what we did, basically, we created something which was called the Livable Street. And the Livable Street was a, a, an initiative, an idea that together with the citizens, together with the people living along one of the streets in Warsaw, over a couple of months, we would develop a vision for a, for a street that would be not dominated by cars, but actually it would be temporarily, temporarily closed for a car movement, for car traffic. And instead, we would give the street back to the people who could walk there, who could bike there, who could sit there among the trees and the greenery and the, and the grass that we provided them with, with like a big rolls as uh, on the football pitch. And we just create this kind of park in the middle of the street. And what was very imp important to me is that through this whole process over a couple of months, we build bonds with people and we 
we can we, we can say that we kind of almost dragged people out of their uh, flats because we did a round of of talks with them. We had people going from uh, from doors to doors and asking people what would they like to see on their street. So over this couple of months, we've built a prototype of what should be uh, on the street to make the people more connected to it. And I can't just forget on the day of the event, we closed the street together with the city. Uh, there was police helping us to close the street uh, for the car movement. And instead, we provided all the greenery. We provided all the, all the uh, temporary um, architecture. And people started to use the street in a completely different way. And neighbors started bringing tea in the in the thermal in the thermal cups, and someone else would bring some bread, and someone else would bring some fruits, and then everyone would just sit together and get to know each other. And they they would never ever have this chance before because it was like such a car dominated uh, street. And I think that the most important uh, thing again is here something that I mentioned before is this sense of belonging because people suddenly felt this sense of responsibility for their own street. So after the after the the event, after the day of this of this prototype, everyone was helping us to clean up. So there were like old uh, elderly people uh, for example cleaning up or taking care of this of the plants, watering them. There were kids helping us to carry the the movable furniture and so on. And and after that, we just created a report which was shared with the municipality and with the city and with all the people involved. So that is an example of how can you actually low cost integrate the people with the with the surroundings, with the street and with the with the urban realm. And it doesn't need to be a, a long process, a very long process. It doesn't need to cost millions of, of dollars or euros. And you can do it low cost. And in that way, you can just basically help people understand how the city works. And I think that that would be a, a, my example that I would use. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's very useful. And uh, kind of from the other side of the coin, you, you've shared some inspiring and you, you've touched on this as well. But uh, what has been the biggest urban challenge that you've heard about in your experience? Uh, I think that Again, this is something that we touched upon before. I think that uh, we, I, I mean, the, the cities tend to be too uh, exclusive in a way. So if it comes to the decision-making, it's very hard to engage people. And that this is something that happens um, all over the place and all over uh, Europe or probably all over the world. So people, I think, tend to be busy and they are so focused on their own lives that they simply don't have time to be involved in kind of shaping their own cities. Of course, it's easier for me and you who are interested in cities to, to study them, to follow what happens and maybe take part in some debates and, and shape the cities as well for our podcasts. This is something that, that, that I think we, we for surely do. But for someone who is not really interested in the city, I think that it creates such a big challenge both for the city and for the citizens as well, because it comes, it, it leads to some kind of frustration. Uh, because if, if you hear, if you think that your voice is not being heard, but from the other, other hand side, you also don't have time to be engaged too much. It creates this like limbo of, of dec decisiveness because there is no dialogue. And I think that no matter the size 
Of course, again, I think it's easier in smaller towns to kind of bring this community together and involve people. But often it is that people just maybe don't care or, as I said, they don't have time. So I think that there is some kind of a need for more tools that would connect the decision makers, the the city policymakers, the city councils and people working um, in the in the city council, in the city planning with the users, because uh, at, at the end of the day, it's about the users, right? Uh, so I think that this is such a huge challenge. And uh, also with the podcast that I'm having, I'm trying to talk with different people and also to be very accessible if it comes to the way that I'm sharing the information about the cities and urbanism and urban planning or architecture. So not to use very complicated and uh, exclusive words and and connotations and notions, but rather to be very, very open and by that show people that city is something that we should be all kind of responsible for. And uh, yeah, and I think that this is something that, that I really, really often hear from my guests who uh, are either on the side of a citizen or activist or on the other side of 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 someone working for the for the city and trying to um to influence the, to to shape to plan the the city yeah thank you and in the communications aspect i love that you touch on that so much too um i think it's very very important um and and it's also interesting that you mentioned um that cities really need more more tools to connect um with the citizens, actually something we're working on together with the city of Stuttgart right now, um, which I believe you're coming here, I think, for Urban Future Conference yes. in June. Um, so uh, we'll have to introduce you to that more as well when you're when you're here. So um, and so I think that we we've we've learned a lot from our guests and everything. I'm wondering if we both know like how important this communication and sharing knowledge is um, when it comes to making more sustainable or livable or inclusive cities, whatever word you want to use there. Um, so do you, do you personally think podcasting is or will become an important tool in kind of this urban transition? Uh, like what role do you see podcasting taking here? Uh, definitely. I think that podcasting has become this increasingly popular medium for sharing information or stories or including those related to sustainability and urban issues. And I think that it also allows for uh, like a wide range of uh, voices and perspectives to be heard and shared and, and also reach global uh, audience. And I remember talking to Mustafa Sharif, who is also a, po a host of a, of a other <laughs> podcast about urbanism and, and cities or urbanistica. It was over one year ago and we've, we've been also discussing that. And I feel, and back then already we felt that podcasts are influencing um, the field more and more. And I, I'm pretty sure about it because I experienced myself that my podcast became a, a tool for communicating the changes in the cities. Because last year I I was uh, having a collaboration with uh, with a region in Poland, which is called the Pomeranian Voivodeship, and they had a lot of urban renewal projects in all in all different towns, and they reached out to me to have the discussion about the urban renewal projects in those towns through my podcast. So I was very happy that they 
decided to reach out to me. They didn't go to maybe television or they didn't reach out to a newspaper, but they they saw a very big potential in a podcast as the tool for sharing and spreading the information, the knowledge, and the good practices about those urban renewal projects. And the idea was that I've been discussing with the leaders, uh, also with the city representatives of those towns and cities on on the projects that they realize in their cities and also what were the lessons learned and what were the biggest challenges. And the idea was that the podcast, the talks, they would appear on my show and it would be shared through like, it would be shared with, with like everyone who would like to uh, listen about it. And I got such a, such a positive feedback because they weren't like people who are like extremely known in the field. They were not experts. They were not urbanists. They were like people who are working day to day with, with, with the citizens and with, with changing the cities by urban renewal. And actually I need to say that I was very, I was very surprised because those episodes were extremely popular. I think that they reached out mm-hmm. to many people, to many citizens, and they somehow spread themselves. Maybe it was through Facebook groups or through other um, through other ways, but there were like a lot of uh, kind of publicity around those episodes. And I feel like through my podcast, I gave a, I gave the, the the voice to the towns because one of the of the small towns that I've mentioned before, the one that has uh, only four thousand citi- uh, citizens, it was the city that uh, I think that it was very hard for those city for, for for a city of such a small size to to have this voice. Uh, in a dialogue about urbanism, but thanks to my podcast, I think that the story was heard, and both me and the, and the guests they get, we got a lot of a lot of positive feedback. So, I think that we are on the way there to using the podcast as a tool for sharing the um, the good practices, and I think that this is also like a very accessible way of 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 having this uh, information served because there are more and more people listening to podcasts, and it becomes it becomes such a learning tool as well. As I've mentioned in the beginning, I think I thought that podcasts are only about the entertainment, only about listening about the crime stories or football. But through through time, I just learned that actually this is something that really, really influences my my knowledge about cities. And this is why I'm really appreciating all the guests that come to the show, because I think that one of the most beautiful things about podcasts is that you never know whom will it, whom will it reach at the end? So you you never know who will listen to it and who will get inspired. And I sometimes get very inspiring messages from my listeners saying that thanks to my podcast, they decided to study architecture or study urban planning or create a local initiative. And I think that this is the most rewarding thing in making a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I also have been, uh, yeah, thanks. So first of all, thanks so much for sharing that. And I, I also want to share a little bit about how, uh, we've been, how the podcast has also been transforming a bit for us as using it as a collaboration tool. Um, like in, in one podcast episode, for example, with the minister in Brussels and, uh, Petro Picard, um, at the Solar Impulse Foundation, legendary voice and solutions for cities and solutions, clean solutions solutions overall. Um, and they had, they had met virtually before, um, but, you know, briefly, and actually during the podcast episode, they had agreed to that Petrol would come to the 
to to Parliament um, to talk to to Brussels, um, the Brussels region, and I think that was one of these like really cool, amazing moments that that I had where I was like, oh wow, like through the podcast. They actually are doing like steps after that, like cooperation after that, um, because they got the chance to come together on the podcast. Um, so I've started really recommending this kind of approach in different episodes where we bring two different people together and put them in an episode. Um, so I think there's so many possibilities, whether it's a learning tool or a collaboration tool or these types of things. So that's amazing. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, think, I agree. I think it's a, such a great initiative that I need to start as well in my own podcast to bring more people on the on the show because I think that I'm often just interviewing one person but this is just amazing how it can how you can connect people through your own medium uh which is the podcast so that that that's very amazing yeah yeah it's it's more challenging logistically <laughs> for sure but um and there's benefits of course to also just having dedicated time to one person but i, I do think that it's it's a really interesting uh method um, so we're ending, we're nearing the end of our interview section, but I always like to give my guests, um, a, an open floor as well. Um, just so that, you know, I make sure that you spoke about everything that you want to speak about. Like, is there anything else that you really want to get out onto the floor to talk to our listeners, let them know what, what you're, what you're all about or what you're thinking? Yes, actually, there is one thing that I really wanted to mention. And this mm-hmm. is something that I feel like we often have in the discussions about cities, uh, because one thing is to be inspired by some solutions in one city, but too often I think we just compare each other. We compare each other as people and we compare each other as the citizens. So we tend to say, oh, Copenhagen is such a cool city and it's the best in the world and it has so many nice solutions and every city has to be like Copenhagen. And I, I, I feel, I feel that, that that's the wrong, um, that's the wrong way. We shouldn't be saying that one city should be as the other city, but there are some solutions that of course can be transferred and adjusted in the city, but every city has its own genius loci, which is the Latin term, which literally means the, the spirit of a place. And I feel that this is something that really coins and 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 influences how the cities look like nowadays it's not copying the solutions from different cities it's not looking up to new york or copenhagen or berlin it's i think it's about appreciating this internal character of a space this genius uh, logi this unique character and to trying to develop that together with the citizens i think that this is such an important thing that we tend to forget when I have some discussions and some people say, oh, it's so nice to be in Copenhagen. It's the best city in the world. And I wish that other cities would be like this. And then I always say, no, 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 there shouldn't be the second Copenhagen. Like there, every, each city should be just their own uh, kind of their own cities and and, and not just a copy of, yeah. of a different one. So I think that this identity which is say, shaped by this physical, cultural, and historical concept is something that I would really like to stress uh, to the listeners and and to appreciate the, their their space because they have the, the the knowledge about the the local context that is extremely important. So I don't think that we should just kind of develop and improve our cities with a touch of a magic wand, but instead we should be basing on this local 
character and local context, unique character. Yeah, yeah, very important. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, so, so not a million Copenhagens. Copenhagen will stay its own, own unique and wonderful place. I, I'm a big fan <laughs> of Copenhagen, but I agree. Um, I think uh, I think every place has something unique to offer. So, um, so now we get to a really fun part, and that's our segment that we have in every single episode. And this segment that I've chosen has, I'm sure the listeners who listen all the time know which one I'm going to say. Um, flip the script. Flip the script. You are the one asking the questions and I'll be the one answering them. So do you have a, this is a spot that you're very comfortable in, by the way. So now <laughs> I'm giving the, the, the mic back to you um, for this. So do you have a question that you would like to ask me? Uh, definitely. And one of them would be, how can we, how can you, uh, what are the, maybe the, the thoughts you have on that? How can we uh, go beyond podcasts and beyond media, media beyond uh, newspapers and articles and debates uh, in changing our cities? Because I think that often a podcast is one thing, but, and, and attending a conference is also one thing, but do you know, do you use any steps that you can just go beyond and, and, have even bigger influence yeah i think the first thing that comes to my mind just very point blank is i feel like like a lot of people don't follow up on the conversations that they have so and this is something that's so logical to me and maybe uh, of course it's like the time thing that people are busy but you how many times have we had a really great conversation with someone and then that's it. You don't talk to the person ever again. And you don't actually maybe write down or next steps on what you want to do with that person or really, really take the take the initiative to follow through on on these topics. So if you're listening to the podcast, make a few notes down and make the next steps on how you actually want to implement this. If you're thinking, ah, oh, yeah, what uh, what you were saying earlier about this bottom bottom up approach and stuff, I, it would be really useful for me to talk to my team about this more and get in touch with that and take the next step and do that next step is what I would say because so many times we talk about things and talking about things is great. I, I love to talk about things. I love to talk about urbanism, smart cities, all of these things, um, and I like to moderate conversations around this. But I, I do see this. Um, as a, as a huge problem in in our field that we 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 stop after that we don't take the next steps we'll, like make the action step actually what do you want from that conversation what, what would actually make it possible in in the city that you're working in or whatever it might be so um i hope that answered your question so basically it's about following through that which yeah say. following through like a lot of people don't follow through <laughs> i think that's that's the that's the lesson so <laughs> no, de definitely i think it's a it's it's a good direction this is something that uh actually maybe not bothers me but it, it makes me a bit sad that podcast is such a one-way uh communication tool kind of mm -hmm. so you you have this discussion and then you publish the podcast and then there is no way to have this interaction with the listeners, to have the, the debate, to talk. So I often wonder myself, how can I go beyond the podcast? So that's why I was curious to to hear your opinion. And I think that it, it, it makes total sense. Yeah, I, I think... Um... 
Yeah, I think there's always more to do there. And now I'm thinking like, oh, how can we engage the listeners more? So uh, also, if you're a listener right now and you want to get more involved in our conversations, please send me an email or find me on LinkedIn. We, we link all that in the show notes. And I think the same is for you as well, um, that, that they can find you and send you an email unless I, I'm speaking wrongly here no, please tell me de but. definitely definitely <laughs> that's the case uh, you you are all f free to reach out to me free email or linkedin or other platforms but that's what i'm saying as well that I, i'm lacking the, the the next step something that would be even more engaging mm. right because also still just sending an email is, is a, such a nice uh, way of showing the support or asking a question or just continuing this uh, debate after the the episode but how could we connect even more to be able to influence each other. Uh, and, and that's something that I'm, uh, that I will definitely, uh, will be trying to, to develop in my podcast and my, yeah. and my work as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think us as well. I think that's a very valid point. So, um, with that, I only have one last question for you. Um, it's a question we ask every single guest and, uh, I'll be interested to hear your, your thoughts, of course. So, uh, the question is to you, what is a smart city? That's the most difficult question of this conversation, <laughs> I need to honestly say, because I think that there is no one definition uh, of a smart city. Yeah. I think that I, I was very amazed when I realized that there is something like dump city, which is like the, the opposite to smart city. The dump city is a city that is not basing on technology, but it is basing on those like human interactions. And it can be a city that is maybe not, the most wealthy one, but the one that the community is formed around this can you slotchy around the space and and you don't have all those tech, all this technology around. Uh, so it is something that is that opposes this kind of standard understanding of smart city, which is something that probably is connected with technology. Uh, but I would say that to me, a smart city is something that I understand as a city that is able to learn, learn. Uh, on its own mistakes, uh, errors, problems, challenges. Uh, and this is something that I would also uh, show or, or present as resiliency. So I think that smart mm -hmm. city has to be resilient in a way. It has to uh, be, be able to kind of overcome the conflicts and with time build the, the, the knowledge, the know-how on how to uh, be more resilient and how to be uh, more prepared for all the conflicts and all the cataclysms and all the challenges that cities have. And we have a lot of them nowadays, unfortunately. But I think that this is also something that tests our immune system, tests our immunity, and this is important. So, yeah, I would say that, yeah. that, resilience. that re mm -hmm. the, the smart cities is definitely uh, such a city that has this resiliency traits. And, and this is just one of, of the understandings, because as I've mentioned, I think that there are so many of them. Yeah, there are there are many. And that's why I like asking every guest <laughs> that, because you always get a different answer, but no wrong answers, which is incredible, <laughs> right? Yes, <I'm> happy. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Yeah, no, resilience is a hugely important quality for a city to have. Um, so I, I definitely, I definitely agree. So, um, yeah, with that, I say like just a big thank you. Um, I'm so glad we got to do this collab and, um, that I could pick your brain on all of your conversations you've had, a, a wealth of knowledge that you have from them and from your own experiences. So thank you so much. And I can't wait for more collaboration. Thank you so much, Tamlin. And uh, I need to say that it was such a fun uh, thing to do, to be the guest and be really challenged. Thank you for the all the questions. And I feel that we should make some kind of a revenge where I will be the host and you will be the guest because I think that this is uh, this this creates this uh, this possibility for you also to to share your ideas about how can we create our cities better and more sustainable, resilient as well through podcasting. Yeah, yeah, I would love to, although I am nervous about it. I'm used to being in this seat, you know, except for flip the script segment. So, but uh, happy to do it. Um, so thank you so much. And to all of our listeners, don't forget, you can always create a free account on babble-smartcities.eu. You can find out there more about smart city projects, solutions, other implementations. So thank you all for listening. I'll see you at the next stop on the journey to a better urban life. 